God gives repentance. He gives us the ability to turn from things that are harmful towards something better. And that something better always comes with the forgiveness of sins. See, one of the things we often lack when we talk about repentance is repentance is all about you doing something different or not doing something you used to do. But I believe repentance is so much more than that. It's about us reorienting all of our lives, all of our desires, all of our ambitions, all of our longings, everything in us to not be focused on me or what I want, but to be focused on the cross. Jesus, you died because of my brokenness. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Living in this country and having some of the freedoms that have been promised to us by our Constitution, it is difficult for me to imagine ever standing here and preaching in such a way that I would be thrown in jail. It's really difficult to think what types of speech would get me thrown in prison for the things I said. Surely if I leaked secrets about the government, perhaps then I would be thrown in prison. Or or surely if I incited people to violence by maybe speaking something that was slanderous and harmful, then, then I could end up in prison. But what if I simply speak the truth and people don't like it? Will that land me in prison? You see, in my role as pastor, I don't have to think often about going to jail for the things I do. There certainly have been times I probably should have, but I didn't get caught, thankfully. That had nothing to do with my speech, though. That had to do with just being sinful and young and stupid one time, or a few. But for what I say, I have very little concern that I will be imprisoned. Now, the flip side of that, we live in a country where there's free speech and where anything goes, and so if I say something you don't like, I'm probably not going to be thrown in jail. You'll just write me off and move on to the next guy. You see, we live in a country that because of the freedom of speech, there is the freedom to choose which speech is worth listening to. And there's certainly pastors who you should not be listening to and pastors who maybe you should. And there are certainly pastors who've used their platform to speak, who have spoken things that are not true in the name of truth. But there's also pastors who for fear of offending people or saying something that you don't want to hear, refuse to speak the truth. Today, as we continue in Acts, we're going to take a look at this hard truth that needs to be spoken and this hard truth that needs to be heard. And we're going to take a look not only at this hard truth that needs to be spoken and heard, but this hard truth that you and I need to wrestle with and live with all the time. Here we go, in Acts chapter 5, on page 1140, if you're following along in the blue Bibles in the pews in front of you or on the sides. 
Acts chapter 5, if you remember so far, God has been moving mightily in the church. He's been healing the sick and setting free those who are oppressed, and it has caused quite a turmoil. In fact, already in chapter 4, we saw that Peter and the disciples were thrown in jail once. And they were thrown in jail and then released and told, don't do that anymore or else. And yet they continue to speak about this Jesus. And here we are in Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, if you recall, the Sadducees we've heard from over and over and over again so far in Acts, they were the ones who interpreted the law of God, who helped establish what is our civil code that we live out because of God's righteous code. And they were the ones also who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so any preaching about the resurrection right off the bat offended them. So these Sadducees, they rise up, it says they're filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. It, perhaps in your Bible, the, the word life there is capitalized. You see, it's not just referring to speak to them the words of, of life like great wisdom and kind things that they want to hear. No, the words of this life, a very specific life. Perhaps you recall the words Jesus spoke when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is not some generic concept and idea. There is a specific life, one for you and for me. Life with Jesus or life without. For this angel speaking, he says, speak the words of this life. If the people need to hear, what they need to hear is not words for the life they want to live, not words for the life they think God's giving them. They need to hear words of this life, Jesus. They need him. Go and speak it. So this angel sets them free and it says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. See, Peter and the apostles once again are arrested and this time God miraculously sets them free. To do what? Not to go and tell everybody how poorly they were treated or how wrong the Sadducees were, just to go back and say, let me share with you life. Life that is everlasting, life that is unlike the one you currently know, life that is so much better. In fact, Jesus talked about this life as being life abundant, that he came to give us life and life abundant. So they're set free and they go out to preach. And what is it they preach? Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. 
Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I love how the drama of this story unfolds. God miraculously sets them free, and all who wrongly accuse them go to figure out what happened, and they find the prison is empty. Now, if I had just broken out of prison by some act of God, I don't think the first place I'm going to go is the most public place where they'll find me. Perhaps I'll lay low for a little bit until the heat blows over, right? But they follow this instruction of the angel and go and do. And they go and they begin to preach and they're brought in, why are you doing what we told you not to do? Like we strictly told you to stop that. If you have kids, you have to say this often. I just told you, don't do that. And then they're doing it again and again and again. The other Adam had preached at one point about the boldness of these apostles. That they went out and did even when it was scary or they could have been in trouble. They're not turned away by the threats and the accusations. They just keep doing what they need to do anyway. Here it is, they begin preaching and this is what they're preaching. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And we'll pause there for a moment. In the Old Testament, to die hanging on a tree was to be the lowest of low, to be accursed like no other, to be so beneath even any kind of dignity or civility, you don't talk about those who are cursed to hang on a tree. Peter says, look, this Jesus whom God raised, he's not still dead. He's now living the life. He is the life. This Jesus whom you killed in the most humiliating, cursed way. This Jesus lives and we're going to speak of him. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What is it that Peter and the apostles are preaching? This Jesus whom you crucified, who died in a horrible, crucified, uh, terrible, cursed way, this Jesus is raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And this Jesus is giving repentance and forgiveness. Here in the South, for, or the, the idea of repentance carries a very different weight than other parts of the country. Like, how many of you have ever been to a church before, or heard on the street corner before, somebody standing there with a message of repent or burn, some kind of turn or burn message, right? And we often talk about repentance in this language that makes to repent a very fearful thing, because if you don't do it right, you're in a whole lot of trouble, in fact, I've heard stories of pastors standing here at, front, at the front of a church, hitting the pulpit and saying, you're going to hell, repent. And we treat repentance here in the South as a fear mechanism. Do it or else. Not only do we treat repentance that way, there's often an idea here in the South that if you don't repent, you can't follow Jesus and the follow-up to that is, if you repent and your life doesn't look perfect afterwards, you didn't truly repent. 
And so the message of repentance most of the time is you better get your life together or else. And so you're forced to live with this need to put on a mask and have everything be pleasant and perfect. You're forced to live with this pressure that says, I'm not good enough, I need to fix it and change it. But that's not the repentance Peter and the apostles are preaching about. If you've noticed so far, there's not a single point in Acts thus far where they have preached about hell, that you're going to hell if, or if you don't repent. There's not a single point yet where they've preached, you terrible, horrible people, even as they've said, you are the ones who crucified Jesus. The message of repentance is always centered in the resurrection. Because Jesus rose, we need to turn away. In fact, to repent quite literally means to turn from. And so it's like a 180 shift to go from one direction to another. You're no longer walking this life, you're now walking that life. And things look different. But I love the way Peter preaches it here. Look, we're preaching that this Jesus who sits at the right hand of God the Father as the leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel. See, repentance and turning from a way of life that is not good is not a work you and I have to do. Do you know that repentance is a gift given by God? The ability to say, this, this path I'm going on isn't good. Let me go towards a better one. I have three kids, and my kids love to ride their bikes in our driveway. And we give them a rule that can go to a certain point and no further. And the reason we do that is if they go further, they get close enough to the road that if they were to fall, perhaps they could get hit. And so my rule is you can go there and no further. And if you go past that, I'm going to come outside and I'm going to yell at you, hey, remember to come back this way. And if you don't listen, I will chase after my kids and I will drag them from their bikes. And sometimes they're told they're no longer allowed to ride their bikes and enjoy that fun blessing because they've gone past the line that was not good for them. For you and me to repent is God bringing us to see his plans and his way and his life is truly better than the life that we want to live. And so to repent is to turn back to him, to reorient our lives and say, my way is not a good way, but his is better. And this message of repentance is always coupled with a second promise. God gives repentance. He gives us the ability to turn from things that are harmful towards something better. And that something better always comes with the forgiveness of sins. See, one of the things we often lack when we talk about repentance is repentance is all about you doing something different or not doing something you used to do. But I believe repentance is so much more than that. It's about us reorienting all of our lives, all of our desires, all of our ambitions, all of our longings, everything in us to not be focused on me or what I want, but to be focused on the cross. Jesus, you died because of my brokenness. This very thing that I desire that is unhealthy, that leads me too close to danger and something not good, you have come running to rescue me from that, to pull me back into something safe, not safe that's free from hardship 
or suffering, but safe that is life eternal. So you and I need to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Did you know that? You are forgiven. When your life is oriented towards the cross, it's not you looking at Jesus saying, look how terrible I am, I need to do better. It's you looking at the cross and seeing just how broken and sinful you are. Just how much he loves you anyway. That he would give everything for you to have life. Not life eventually, life today. This message of repentance because of the resurrection of Jesus was wildly offensive in Peter's day. And I believe it's still really offensive today. We collectively don't want to hear that our lives are oriented towards things that dishonor God. And not only dishonor God, that bring us pain and hardship. So what does repentance look like for you and me? Well, yesterday morning, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Have you ever done that? And my son woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And on top of that, we ran out of coffee, so it was really thin. I like my coffee to be thick enough to chew, and I could see through it. It was a problem. My son came downstairs, worn out from a week of school, tired from having not slept well, and a little bit grumpy. And so I turned into full-on dad mode. Everything he said and did got under my skin, and I snapped, and I bit, not literally, but, you know, with the words I spoke. The literal biting's my youngest son. <laughs> and I began to escalate his anger with my anger and get louder and louder until we were both yelling and neither of us had had our coffee or our breakfast, which would have solved a lot of problems. And so finally yesterday I sent him to his room and he was crying and he was a mess and I was not crying but I was certainly a mess and when I sent him to his room I said I'm going to go to my room and we're both going to reset for the day. And what does repentance look like? When I went to my room I thought about my responsibility in that situation. Yes, I have the responsibility as dad to discipline and to teach him how to walk in the ways of the Lord and his needing to have the last word and his arguing and those things. Those aren't good and godly. And yet, I'm the one who should have the burden of compassion. It's my responsibility to love because he doesn't yet know how. And so, I went into his room and I pulled out my Bible and I read from Ephesians chapter 6 which says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you in the land. And then the second half says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I didn't talk to my son about what he had done wrong, though he had. I simply looked at Elijah and said, Elijah, Scripture says I'm not to provoke you to anger. And I did. And I went on to talk about what I did wrong, and I asked him to forgive me. Repentance looks like that. It's really, really hard to sit down and look at your seven-year-old who is a grumpy mess and just focus on the things you have done wrong. And I was hoping that by reading you know, the part about children that maybe he would say he did something wrong too. He didn't. <laughs> That's okay. But repentance is not pointing out his flaws, it's pointing out mine. 
this is where I wronged you. Forgive me. And perhaps you don't have kids, or perhaps none of that story relates with your life, but you know what? There is somebody in your life, even this morning, you have wronged. And if there's nobody you can think of, there's certainly things you have done against God that have harmed you. The desires of your heart that lean your mind and your eyes towards pornography and other such things. The desires that fill your your body with a, a longing for an addiction that you know is killing you. The self-shaming and condemning and all of these things. Jesus is risen from the dead to give you and me repentance and forgiveness. So we reorient our life around the cross and say, Jesus, it's not about me. It's about you. All that you have done, all that you are doing, all that you will do, change me that I can walk in that. Peter's preaching this message and it really offended people. And it offends most of us because repentance requires us to say, I am not yet who I need to be. And even harder, I don't have the capacity to become who I want to be. I can't work harder or try more or do better. Instead, I have to learn to surrender everything. And so they're preaching this message of repentance They're preaching this message of forgiveness, and the reason forgiveness is really offensive is it always goes to those who don't deserve it. Did you know that? If you're going to forgive somebody or be forgiven, it's not because that person has earned it. It's not because you deserve it. They're preaching this very uncomfortable message, and this is what happens When they, being the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days... Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. I love this advice he gives. He says, I know this message is uncomfortable and you don't like to hear the things they have to say, but there's a really simple solution here. If what they're saying is false, it will eventually fade away. And if what they're saying is true, we're in a great danger if we oppose it. And Gamaliel, this guy, he's mentioned one other time, he's actually the mentor and the leader, the one who teaches the law to a man named Saul. And if you don't know the name Saul, he becomes Paul. We'll read about him in a few chapters. But Saul hated Christians. And he persecuted them because under 
Gamaliel's teaching, he learned these Christians and their message of the resurrection and repentance and forgiveness was contrary to what he thought he believed. See, the same man, he says, look, Gamaliel rises up and says, you guys know if this is not true, we don't need to worry about it. But if it is true, maybe it changes everything. So let's just wait and see. Now, if you've ever been angry and somebody tells you to stop being angry and just wait, how well do you respond? That's exactly what happens here too. So they hold off from killing Peter and these other apostles for now. This is what it says. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This idea of being beaten, they would use a whip with three different tails, and this whip, then they would hit them twice in the back and once in the front. And they would do this 39 times. Wow. These apostles are brutally beaten because they told people to repent. Picture that? How would you respond being beaten for the message of truth? And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. 39 times they're beaten and they leave rejoicing. See, I think part of this message of repentance and forgiveness for you and me is that we often think repentance means life will now be better. Sometimes it won't be. Following Jesus might be harder You may face challenges you never previously anticipated. When you speak the truth in love and people around you don't like it, they might come against you. In this country, probably not with whips and actually beating you. Probably. But they may come against you in other ways. You lose the promotion you've worked hard for or the job that you love, or the friends you hold dear no longer want to talk to you because you spoke the truth and they didn't want to hear it. Following Jesus might be really hard. In fact, one of the things that set the early church and Acts apart, that made them so different from this world, was that they actually anticipated and looked forward to suffering. And I don't mean that like they were really eager and couldn't wait to hurt. But if our God, who has the universe in his hands, would willingly suffer for the sake of giving you and me repentance and forgiveness, for God who's perfect would lay everything down so that others could know how much they're loved. These early Christians saw suffering as an opportunity to be like Jesus, to say Jesus would do this for us, so I will too. So in your relationships that you need to speak the truth in or the things that are falling apart because you follow Jesus, let me encourage you, hold on. I promise you have not yet suffered as much as he did. And I also promise that in all of our suffering for the sake of the truth, 
God always moves and works in such a way that those who don't yet know his goodness and his love and his forgiveness will come to see it. So I want to encourage you today as we end to hear this message. Jesus is risen from the dead. And he invites you and me to walk in the life that is truly life. So where do you need to repent? To turn from things that are harmful towards the cross and see all that he has done and is doing and will always do for you. And where do you need to be forgiven of all of your sins so that whatever may come, you can speak the hard truth in love, knowing that he's with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the boldness of Peter and these apostles, for their willingness to suffer and to rejoice that they were counted worthy of suffering dishonor for your name. God, we often run from pain and hardship. We think life with you should be easy and wonderful. God, you have said it will be difficult. People will be against us. This message of repentance and forgiveness will not be desired. But God, you've promised that you rose from the dead and you will raise us up on that last day. Give us strength to turn to you, to reorient our lives around your cross and all that you have done. Give us peace in times of trouble. And Lord, may we have the boldness of Peter and these apostles, whatever may come, to rejoice, to be with you, to be like you, and to do the types of things you do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue this morning, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Uh, every now and then, I share with you something we're trying to do as a church that we would like your help with. Uh, we are going to do something soon, hopefully, uh, that we've never done before. I don't know if you've noticed, if you take a look around, there's a lot of babies, uh, either in Kids Point or here, or maybe you've noticed there's a lot of pregnant moms. Uh, in fact, we have four women currently at the point who are pregnant, and a fifth one who two weeks ago gave birth, so a lot of young babies, and it's exciting. And I don't know if you have children, or if you're a mom who's ever tried to feed little babies, uh, whether you're nursing or bottle feeding, babies don't always feed well or easily. Uh, sometimes they're very fussy. And so one of the things we would like to do to honor and bless all of our moms who are working really hard to care for their children, we are actually turning what was my office into a mother's room, a space where you can go if you need uh, to have a quiet, calming place to feed your children, however you do that. Now, no, you're always welcome to do that here, and their crying is always welcome in here. So this is not by any means a place for you to go like we don't want you in here. We just know that sometimes kids are exhausting, and as moms, you need a quiet place, and that's okay. So we would like to turn that space into a very calming, quiet place for moms, um, but to do so, that's going to require some paint and a little bit of furniture that's more comfortable than just a standard chair that we have back there currently, like a folding chair. Uh, so we're seeking about $1,400 in our budget to find how can we buy some furniture and make that space comfortable and relaxing for moms. 
So as you consider giving today, if you would like to join us in blessing these moms, not only the ones we have, but the ones we will have in the future, uh, if you'd like to give above and beyond your usual giving towards that, you can do so with cash or check in the popcorn buckets as you leave. You can also make a gift online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Uh, however you give and whatever you give, know this. We give in this place not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, Adam, you had the joy of joining us this last Wednesday night. Uh, we had our potluck, and it was really an unfortunate timing. So all summer long, we have been gathering on Wednesday nights for some prayer and some potluck. And Adam, this last uh, Monday, decided Amber and him were going to start a new diet. And this week at the potluck, I think we had four really delicious desserts, and Amber gave in right away, and Adam held strong and did not. So I had to eat his desserts on his behalf. Uh, so I'm sorry that you started that diet, but uh, I share all that to say, if you want to come and enjoy food that may or may not be on your diet, this upcoming Wednesday is our last prayer and potluck of the summer, okay? So if you would like to join us at 6.30 this Wednesday, from 6.30 to 8, we'll take about 45 minutes to eat and then about 45 minutes to gather together and pray like they did in the book of Acts. And this week, our theme is going to be Southern food. I want you to bring your favorite Southern dish, whatever that looks like, and that's how we're going to celebrate the last week of our potluck. Is there any Southern dish that you can eat when dieting? Probably not. Okay. And because one of the questions is about confession... I must tell you, I snuck a homemade cookie. Oh, good. Right. I'm glad you didn't miss out on everything. Yeah, yeah no, I appreciate yeah. it. Well, every week we invite your questions, and I do my best to respond. So, Adam, what questions came in this week? Three questions, one comment. All are very good. You want me to start with a comment? Sure. Okay. The comment says, hearing everyone in the church singing, How Great Thou Art, with only their voices, sent shivers down my spine. Thank you. Let me tell you, so one... I read a lot of different studies and a lot of different things trying to figure out how to lead the church. And one of the things I read that was most fascinating was there was a study done that showed the value of singing as a church. And in churches where you could hear the, the sounds of men singing, they had a higher likelihood of children staying in faith after going to college. And they went on to explain this. that the reason for that is in a place where men feel safe enough to sing loudly... It's a place where those same men are going to invest in their wives and their children and the community well. So nothing brings me more joy than being right up here in front and hearing everybody sing. It's truly a great thing. And if you're afraid that you sound poor, poorly or bad when you sing, don't worry. My wife will tell you that I sing loudly no matter how many missed notes I have, okay? <laughs> and Michael's like, but you can sing. Sometimes you should have heard my voice crack a few times earlier today. So, all right, thank you for that. What's, what's next? All right, first question that says, if we have freedom of speech, why are animal rights activists here in the U.S. being thrown in jail for speaking up for animals' lives uh, with their words and actions? Um, I don't know which specific instances you're referring to. Uh, I know you add the with their actions. Sometimes our actions in the name of freedom of speech actually cross a line. Like when you uh, break into a facility in protest to set animals free or when you protest. Oh, that's weird. Nobody move. All right. <laughs> Let's just stand here like this the rest of the day. Uh, so sometimes uh, our actions and our voices actually go against the law. So if you're protesting in a place you shouldn't be or you're doing something you shouldn't do in the name of raising a voice, 
Uh, There is a time and a place for that, but know that you may have to accept the consequence of being arrested. It's not much different than in the civil rights movement when people voluntarily chose to be arrested because they did the right thing. And when they were arrested, they didn't whine and complain. They simply suffered with joy because they knew the movement they were suffering for was worth uh, whatever they endured. So I don't know the specific instances with animal rights activists you're referring to, but that would be my guess. Yep. One other comment came in, and this is great. I didn't know this. It says, speaking of new moms, we would like to offer meals to them. Meal trains will be posted on our Point Facebook page. And if you aren't uh, on Facebook, you can contact Deanna Farmer. Yeah, this is not just for new moms, but certainly if you are sick or in the hospital or had a death in your family or have a new baby, we would love to be the kind of people that care for you through all of those things. Deanna, will you stand up real quick? If you don't know, turn around. This is Deanna Farmer. She's great. She has been coordinating some of our meals. So if you're somebody who really likes to cook or you really like to go and buy uh, some food at Cracker Barrel or someplace else that you want to deliver, you you can do that. It doesn't have to be home cooked. Um, But we would like to bless those who are in need with meals. So if you're interested, you can go to thepointknox.com. You can go to the Facebook page. You can go to our private group and join that. And there you'll find posts and updates about people who need meals. Uh, Otherwise, just go talk to her and she would love to get you plugged in. This is a great question. It says, is repentance the same as confession? How do they differ? Should I be more focused on repentance than confession? Great question. I think we can confess our sin with no intention to change. I I think I can tell my son, I'm sorry that I did this, and not actually want to stop yelling at him. And so repentance is more than just, I did something wrong. It's, I did something wrong and harmed you, and I want to stop harming you. I want to stop hurting you. Now, I don't always get it right. In fact, my wife will tell you, I promise there will be another day this week getting them ready for school when I struggle and it is hard for me to be patient. I promise. But repentance is recognizing that harm and constantly coming back to, I am still broken and need to again seek forgiveness. Confession is just, I did something wrong. And so it's good to confess. It's better to repent. Um, I would recommend both are part of a healthy daily life with Jesus. So maybe at C, do both of those things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Next question says, I've attended the point for a few years. I've heard you mention the point's church leadership many times. Who are they? Great question. So I cannot make decisions on my own. That would be unhealthy and uh, not a good use of accountability. And so we have what we call the pastoral advisory and accountability team. It is currently made up of four members, Shane Bryant, Brian Buck, Melissa Foster, and Vince Thompson. Uh, Those four meet with me monthly, and we talk through some of the things we're doing. Uh, When there's situations I don't know how to handle well, they give me advice. They also are there to make sure that what I'm preaching and teaching and doing is godly. And so if I ever cross a line and, and and say something that's not true or not Uh, not wise. They have no problem calling me out in that. Um, They also serve to be a source of encouragement. And so when I have to make tough decisions or have hard conversations, they remind me that I'm not making them on my own, but that we together are the church walking with Jesus. Um, We also have a finance team, and that finance team is made up of uh, Jay and Chrissy Stokes and my wife. The three of them help navigate all of our financial decisions to make sure we're being a wise, responsible church with the money that God blesses us with. 
And so the finance team and the PAT work together on a regular basis to say, how do we make the wisest decisions for the things God is doing here? Um, yeah, that's our team, and I am very grateful for all of them. They're wonderful. Yep. Uh, one last comment, a request, I guess. It says, also pray that the students find comfort in any event. That, well, I'm sorry, let me back up. Please pray for all educators in Knox County this week who return. We are dealing with many new challenges in the library and educational settings. Pray for the students to find comfort in any events at school this upcoming year and the peace uh, and the peace is stronger than any frustrations they may experience. Yeah, we definitely, as kids return to school, as teachers return to school, need to be praying for them. If you have kids or have friends who have kids or family members with kids, you may not have ever thought about this. The teacher is one of the greatest disciplers of your children because they spend over 40 hours a week pouring into your kids. And so whether you, they have 30 kids in their class or 10 in their class, they have a really big job. And so you as parents or as neighbors or as uncles and aunts have a huge job to be invested in the life of the child at the school to support and encourage the teachers and also to help shape uh, how they're being uh, formed to walk with the Lord. So if you're a teacher, thank you. And if you're not a teacher, thank a teacher, pray for a teacher, support a teacher. They have a very difficult job. Amen. Those are all the questions and comments. Awesome. As always, you are welcome to text in your questions anytime, and if we miss them on Sunday morning, we'll respond to them either in the middle of the week on social media, or we'll respond to them next Sunday instead. Um, before you go, real quick, Daniel, will you stand up? This is Daniel. Maybe you've seen him, maybe you haven't. He's got the awesome Top Gun mustache, so I love that. Uh, Daniel and Adam will be back there, and they're both going to be encouraging you to do one thing before you leave. And that one thing is, this is Kaylin. You see her right there with a the camera. Those of you in the balcony, you can't see her, but when you walk down, I promise you will, okay? Kaylin is going to be taking pictures for the directory we're working to put together, while Adam and Daniel will both be helping you uh, make sure your information is up to date so we can connect with you, pray for you, and encourage you. So if you'd be willing to take, like, 25 seconds and just stop over there. Kaylin's going to be right outside taking photos. Just take a few seconds to get your photo taken, to get the link to update your information. That would be hugely helpful for us. Um, so, Daniel, if you head back there now so you don't have to fight the massive crowd of people, you know, it, it gets to be crazy. Daniel and Adam will both be back there to help point you to Kaylin and get your photo taken and update your information. Re before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.